live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal season five. Hello and welcome back to the dark paranormal season five. We're already up to episode four of season five, and I want to thank everyone for the correspondence from last week, episode three, The Witch's Cellar. We actually had one very interesting piece of correspondence from Edward himself, who said he has a follow-up on the story and will be sending that in soon. My mind's already gone everywhere with what possibly could follow up from that story. Today's true paranormal experience is one that's truly sent a chill down my spine when I was reading it. It deals with the mistakes of the past and how they can come back literally, to haunt you. But before we get to today's true paranormal experience, I just need to give a couple of shout-outs. First, as you may have noticed, the show doesn't do much on social media. However, we have started to use a new app called Repod. Repod is a great idea where it merges podcatches and social media. So not only can you listen to the shows you like, you can also interact with the hosts. So if podcasts are your thing, but you're not really keen on social media, maybe download Repod and kill two birds with one stone. And of course, we have to thank our wonderful Patreons. The team over at Patreon is why you're able to listen to this show now. They literally keep the show going. And when you go over and join the team at Patreon, not only do you receive these shows ad-free before anyone else, you also receive a Patreon-only show each and every week, even between seasons, called Dark Bites. So if you enjoy the content and you'd like to see more, and also get yourself a little something extra, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. And I'd just like to say a big thank you to the newest members of our team. Ben Waters, Jenna Patterson, Maggie Stokes, Sean Kelly, Greg Kirkpatrick, Lisa Agnew, George McDermott, Christian Lopez, Tavares, Ashley, Samantha Duhl, Juliana Laufenberg, Brenda Kay and Lucy Croft. Thank you so much guys, I hope you enjoy all the early releases and of course all the exclusive Patreon episodes over there. But for now, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable and of course, most importantly, leave your disbelief at the door as we take a look at The Darkness Within. Hi, my name's Paula, and I want to share with you my true paranormal experience. I have no explanation for what took place. I just know that the experience turned me from an atheist into a practicing Christian. As for me, it proved beyond doubt there is indeed a heaven and a hell. I moved to the northwest of England from the Midlands in late 2010. My husband had been offered a big promotion, which meant that we had to relocate. This would be stressful for most people, but we've always seen challenges like this as a positive task, and we enjoy finding ways to make such things a pleasurable experience. We don't have children. Not through lack of trying, we had several failed attempts at IVF, but as both our age and indeed the cost increased, we decided it just wasn't meant to be. 
I say this as the experience bonded us. And it's through this we gained our positive perspective when faced with such a daunting task as uprooting your entire life and moving across the country. Like I say, my husband had gained a promotion, so more or less from day one, he was working whilst I set up the new home. A few weeks in and I was ready to find some work myself. In my Midlands life, I was a nurse at the local hospital, and there was a chance to relocate to the new hospital near home, but in truth, the hours were getting more and more unsociable. The workload was more and more unmanageable, and this was my chance to move down a gear. I did want to stay within the healthcare industry, though, and so when I saw an ad for a care home assistant, I decided I'd give it a chance. It took me a while to find the place, as it sat just behind a supermarket car park, as in you have to drive through the car park to get there. Therefore, I drove past a few times, thinking I'd got the wrong postcode. Now, that description probably doesn't do the place justice. Yes, it was behind a supermarket, and yes, it was more or less in the centre of a not-too-pleasant estate, but it was actually a beautifully laid-out, self-sustained piece of land, with an old large mansion in the centre, which had been built on over the years to accommodate the ever-growing demand of elderly people needing care. It became obvious soon enough that the house had been there much longer than the supermarket and the surrounding areas, and they had been built around it as opposed to the other way around. So, given the encroaching commercialism and housing, they'd done really well to keep the surrounding gardens and greenery and give the place the feeling of calm and peace that care homes like this require. Without sounding too cocky, with my nursing experience, I thought I'd have a pretty good chance of getting this job. And that thought proved correct, as I was offered the position there and then. I would start the following Monday, where I would be given an induction with an experienced member of staff. I met with a lovely girl named Chelsea, She was half my age, but a very confident and clearly capable care worker. Talking with each resident as if they were family as we walked around, I smiled, soaking in the atmosphere, with the exception of the fact that ultimately, these places are where people come to die. They are actually so full of life and love that I was convinced my vocational change had been the correct one. We were about to walk into the common room, me walking behind Chelsea, when she stopped and backed out of the room. She pulled me to one side. Right, okay. I need to tell you about the two people in this room. Okay, I replied. Well, the man is called John. He can't speak, he'll just stare at you, so don't expect a reply. His daughter comes in every so often and she's not a happy bunny, let's just say that much. The woman is called Emily. We call her Millie. Now, she's lovely, but she's got terrible dementia, so she has good and bad days. She also shouts stuff at John, too. We think she thinks it's a husband or something. Chelsea laughed. It seems strange to say that she laughed at something that someone with dementia done due to the illness. But I understood. It's what you do. I recall my dad dealing with my mum when she suffered with it. For the first few months, he would correct her or shout at her when she would talk nonsense. She couldn't help it, 
and she'd get confused and upset, as would he. I think he just couldn't accept that she was going. Soon enough, you realise, as he did, you have to talk to them as if what they're saying is accurate and try to hold a conversation about things. It's the least painful way for all parties concerned to cope. We entered the room and John looked up from his chair. Wow, Chelsea was right. That was one intense stare. Morning, John. Morning, Emily, said Chelsea in the slightly louder tone that you tend to speak in in care homes. Millie smiled and nodded. This is Paula. She's going to be working here and helping with a few things, if that's okay. So if you see her walking round, do make her feel at home. Oh, hello, Amanda, said Emily. No, Millie, it's Paula, said Chelsea. Oh, well, that's not what she says, replied Millie, nodding to the corner. Chelsea rolled her eyes and smiled at me. But this was my first spooky moment. You see... I was always meant to be an Amanda. It was only that my dad's mum, Paula, had died just before I was born that they named me after her. My mother, when she was alive, would always call me Amanda. My second scary moment was the first time that I tended to John alone in his room. I came in because his buzzer had sounded. Normally, it's for a bed change, or they're unable to reach something or similar. However, when I entered his room, John was asleep. The call button lay attached to the other side of the bed. Oh, I said purposefully loud. I'm sorry, I didn't know John had a visitor. I turned to face his ensuite toilet, waiting for an answer. But nothing Hello, I said, and I gave the door a light knock. Looking under the door, I couldn't see a light switched on, so decided to try the handle. Someone breathed down my ear. I spun around, but again, there was no one there. John, however, was now awake, his bedsheets pulled up over his mouth, glaring at me eyes wide. Composing myself, I smiled. Hi, John. I didn't mean to wake you, sorry. Do you need anything? He didn't move. He just continued to stare, seemingly over my shoulder, giving me the chills. Okay, if not, I'll leave you to it. And I hurried myself out of the room. Walking into the common room, Millie watched as I walked over and opened the window to let in some fresh air. It's a warm one today, Millie, I said. Yes, she agreed. Oh, my love, she replied in a sympathetic voice. Who are all of these children running round you? I I don't know, Millie, I said, humouring her. Then she said something that was like a punch in the gut. Well, they're saying you're their mum, all five of them, she said defiantly, crossing her arms and looking away. I felt tears well up into my eyes. I smiled and said... Oh, right, and faced away to fiddle with the blinds. You see, my IVF treatment sadly resulted in five miscarriages. Hi, is John up for visitors? Came a voice from the doorway, breaking me out of my trance. Clearing my throat, I turned round to see a short, well-dressed woman 
with a scowl upon her face. Ah, the daughter. You must be new. I'm John's daughter. Yes, I'm Paula, I replied with a smile. He was awake a moment ago. I'll take you through. She powered ahead, though, and flung John's door open, pulling the curtains open to allow the sunlight into the musty-feeling room. You shouldn't just let him lie in bed all day, she said. John just glared at her from his pillow as she aggressively wiped at his mouth with a tissue from her pocket. Look at the state of you, she snapped at him. You're an utter mess. And then she turned and frowned at me. Um, can you leave please so I can spend some time with him? I apologised and headed back to the common room. He's evil, that man. Millie slowly nodded to me. Who, Millie? I asked as I fluffed some pillows from the settee. That John. His daughter knows. He's evil. Ugh, he makes my spine itch, she said, moving uncomfortably in her chair. Now, now, Millie, that's not nice, I replied. Although I, too, I was ashamed to admit it, but I, too, felt something wasn't quite right with him. Checking my watch, my shift was nearly over, and today couldn't end soon enough. That evening, as myself and my husband sat down for dinner, I told him what Millie had said, both about my being Amanda and the five children that she could see. He very quickly seemed uncomfortable. He never liked revisiting the issues we had with having children, and I immediately regretted mentioning anything, which was a new feeling for me. I'd always felt comfortable saying anything to him, but I suppose hearing about someone who's implying they can see ghosts around me was a step too far for our usual rational conversations. It looked like I'd have to keep all of this to myself. The next afternoon was one of the most traumatic that I dealt with at the care home. I was busy tending to another resident when I realised I'd forgot to bring some fresh sheets in with me. Walking down the hallway, I caught a glimpse of someone moving just out of sight from left to right across the common room. I stopped and glanced through the crack in the door. Millie was slowly walking towards John with something in her hand. He was shaking and looking up at her. Walking in, Millie had a vase raised above her head and was about to bring it down onto the horrified face of John. I rushed and grabbed the vase from Millie. No, she screamed and lunged for John. I grabbed her and she writhed as much as her fragile frame would allow. She wants him dead. She wants him dead, she kept repeating. Hearing the commotion, Chelsea and another girl came in and helped me take Millie back to her room, whilst a staff supervisor tended to John. Once in her room, Millie began talking about the poor, lovely woman who told her all about John and asked us to go and fetch her so she could apologise, so she could say face-to-face with the woman that she didn't mean to cause a scene and just wanted to help her. We just nodded and soothed her into bed, saying we would take care of everything and she just needed to relax. The supervisor said she would arrange for a doctor to come out and check Millie over. Apparently this, potential violence, was really out of character and this home wasn't set up to deal with aggressive patients. So if it continued, we'd have to find Millie a different home. 
let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank accounts. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. The next day, I arrived at work with an attempted new outlook. I was just going to focus on the tasks at hand and not obsess over whatever came out of Millie's mouth. I felt good and clear-minded when I drove into the car park, but then I noticed the ambulance. This was a common sight here, but something just pricked my fear in a way that's hard to describe. I entered the staff room and was greeted by a sombre-looking Chelsea, who said, I'm sorry to tell you, John died this morning. I was taken aback. The super's with his daughter in the common room, and then she moved closer. We had to take her away from the rooms because Millie's having an episode and she's been laughing out loud and clapping from her bed all morning. Chelsea gave me a nervous smile. It's hardly the soundtrack you need when your dad's just died, you know what I mean? Does Millie know about John? I asked. Chelsea nodded. I asked her to calm down and told her what had happened to show some respect. Again, Chelsea let out a nervous giggle and whispered, She said she knows and that's why she's so happy. Unlike Chelsea, I couldn't find the humour in this. My plan to remain rational was just fired into space and fear surrounded me like a blanket. So much so that I shivered on the spot. Leaving my coat and bag in the staff room, I walked out into the hall. The supervisor walked out of the common room and said, Oh, Paula, will you get a tea and two sugars for John's daughter, please? Of course, I replied and delivered the drink to John's grieving daughter. Except, she wasn't grieving. Her face was just as scornful as when I'd last seen her. No trace of tears, no balled-up handkerchief in her hand, none of the usual grief paraphernalia. Something must have told on my face. As I went to leave, she said, You're probably wondering why I'm not upset. Oh, no, not at all, I replied. Yes, you are, she snapped back, and then there was a slight pause. He wasn't a good man, my father. Oh, right, I'm sorry to hear that, I said awkwardly. I'm the only one who visits, and that's for my own conscience, really. 
Sensing that I should appear more sympathetic, I slowly sat down. Well, we all do things we regret, I said with a forced half-smile. She leant forward and put her cup of tea down, and then very matter-of-factly said, He pushed my mother to her death down a flight of stairs. Silence filled the room, and then she continued. He spent our youth flitting between trying to convince us it was an accident and beating us, blaming us, saying they were only arguing because of us. And in the heat of this argument, she fell. She used air quotes as she said the word fell. Officially, it went down as an accident as they were both drunk. A drunken fall by a drunken woman, as opposed to a woman who would drink to black out the abuse getting thrown down a flight of stairs by her husband. Acting as if what she'd just said was out of character, she sat upright and brushed her jacket down. So, there'll be no tears shed today, thank you, she said, picking up her tea and taking a sip. That afternoon, we were given the details of the new occupants for John's room, such as both the demand for rooms and the quickness in turnaround and I was tasked with fixing up John's room to be bare and ready for its new inhabitant and his family when they arrive. Arms full of bedding, I entered the room. It still had that old man smell, so the first thing I'd done was open the wind. I dropped the bedding and spun round. The door was jammed tight. I knocked. Hello? Hello? I think the door's jammed. Hello? Then I heard what sounded like wind but coming from the floor beneath my heels. I turned around and put my back against the door. I could see nothing at first, and then some papers started lifting at the corner, as if caught in a breeze. The curtains soon followed suit. It was as if a small tornado was forming in the centre of the room. There was a darkness coming from it. I felt my chest compress, either out of the pressure or out of a sheer panic attack. Someone knocked on the door. Hello, hello, the door's stuck. Can you help? The door clicked open and Chelsea was stood there. Are you okay? My face clearly said I wasn't. She looked past me at the bedding sprawled across the floor. Um, do you want to swap duties? I'm just changing Millie's sheets. Yes, yes, I did want to swap. Immediately, and I told her so. Chelsea fetched a chair and jammed the door open. I don't want it jamming on me. She smiled. I smiled back and headed to Millie's room. On entering, Millie was sat up in bed. That was him, you know. He's still there. Evil alive, evil dead. I was too shook up to respond anything other than a smile and a nod, and I walked round her bed tucking the undersheet in. Don't worry, love, she said. I'll be gone soon, and I'll take him with me. You'll be okay. Finally gaining some composure, I replied, Oh, come on, Millie, don't be so morbid. You'll outlive us all. No, I won't, love. It's almost my time, she said, smiling and shaking her head. I didn't sleep a wink that night. Every noise in the house seemed to be alive. Every shadow seemed to be ominous. I was convinced that the spirit of John had followed me home. Worse, I couldn't seek comfort in my husband as he'd made his feelings on the topic well known. The next morning, after literally an hour's sleep, I dragged myself into the staff room to check the board for today's tasks. 
The night staff had left a note which caught my attention. Room 14, Millie Stevens, screaming in her sleep, suggested doctor's visit. Before I started my tasks for the day, I thought I'd check on Millie, take her a cup of tea and see how she was doing. Walking into her room, I could see she'd had a bad night. She was lightly sleeping, clutching a tissue, her arms splayed out and the sheets in the disarray that you'd associate with a night of tossing and turning. I placed the cup down. This small noise jolted her awake and she instantly pushed back in fear, kicking out with her feet to push herself higher up the bed. Eventually, she locked eyes with me and a wave of relief came over her. Sorry, love, I thought you were him, she said, taking a deep breath. She threw off her covers and got out of bed, her shaking hand taking the cup from the side and using both hands to take a sip. Are you okay, Millie? I asked. I believe you had a bad night. Who did you think I was? She took a large gulp of tea, and as she did so, she used one hand to point towards John's room repeatedly. Yes, love, I'm okay, she said as if someone was listening. I nodded and smiled. Okay then, Mill, I'll let you get up. Paula, she said as I reached the door. Yes, Millie. We've all got to make amends, you know. I just nodded. I reckon so, Millie, and went about my tasks. That afternoon, the new resident in John's room pushed his emergency button, so I raced to see what the problem was. However, his room was empty. I reset the alarm and headed back to the desk. As I walked down the hall, the new resident, Alan, was walking the other way. He was in his mid-90s, but otherwise in good health. He grabbed my arm as I walked past. Excuse me, love. I don't know who the gentleman on the staff is, but can you ask him not to use my toilet at all hours of the night? I'm sure you have a staff toilet. I felt a chill run through me. There are no... Yes, yes, of course, Alan, I'll have a word. We were an all-female staff. Later on that afternoon, the girl on the night shift called in sick and I agreed to cover half of the shift, up to around 11pm, with Chelsea agreeing to do the main overnight shift. After dinner around 9pm, I went round to do the usual checks. The residents at this time were either in bed, or sat in a chair by the bed, or watching TV, or having a read. Millie's room was next. When I walked in, I swear I saw a large black thing disappear in the corner so much so I even turned to look he's come to take me came Millie's voice from under the bedsheets I turned and looked and Millie had her sheets pulled up to her nose her wide eyes staring out at me I'd seen that look before on John's face no one's coming to take you anywhere Millie I said walking over and sitting on her bed She just nodded slowly behind her covers. I was a bad mother, Paula. I'd smack them. I smiled. That doesn't make you a bad person, Mill. I got a good smack when I was naughty. Her pupils seemed to go wide. I'd use a belt. A leather belt. I'd lock them under the stairs if they were naughty. My daughter couldn't go to school once because I'd beaten her so much her eyes closed over. 
I didn't know what to say to this. I just slowly nodded. That's why he's hanging round, you see. He's taking me with him. She motioned her eyes to the floor. Down there. As horrific as Millie's confession was, these people are all 80 plus. They were all war survivors. Everyone had something that they regretted here. Even so, it did explain why Millie didn't have any visitors. My shift ended and I told Chelsea to give an extra look in on Millie in the night. That evening, I got the call that, in truth, my gut was expecting. Around an hour after I left, Chelsea found Millie unresponsive on the floor of her room. She'd suffered a catastrophic heart attack. In the upcoming week, our supervisor let us know that Millie's family had told us to dispose of all her belongings. They didn't want them sending on. They didn't want anything to do with her. Which, given Millie's last words with me, was hardly surprising. Interestingly though, all of the strange happenings that were taking place in John's room stopped overnight. It was truly as if he disappeared with Millie dying. Or maybe, as Millie said, he was waiting to take her. Being somewhat of a lapsed Catholic myself, for me that story is one of the most petrifying ones that I've read so far. And in truth, it's really unsurprising to me that that paranormal experience had the power to make someone a believer in religion. Also within that experience is something that I have thought myself and I'm sure many of you have thought when discussing the paranormal. Specifically when discussing cases that feature dementia or Alzheimer's or other deteriorating brain illnesses. Does the effect of these illnesses on the brain cause, such as in Millie's case it would appear, some form of second sight? As your rational world is sadly eaten away by these diseases, does that allow your brain to see the not-so-rational? The things that you would previously have blocked out to protect your sanity? I guess we'll never know. Unless, of course, it happens to us. That concludes today's episode of The Dark Paranormal, and i really like to thank you for joining me and spending your time here today. We'll be back next week for episode 5, and of course I'll speak to our Patreons on Sunday for Dark Bites. In the meantime, I sincerely hope you, your friends and family, all have a fantastic Christmas and New Year. And remember, if over this festive period you start discussing the paranormal, Make sure you leave your disbelief outside with the reindeers. And I'll see you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal.